few weeks ago, I got to sit in on a presentation in a panel entitled From Student to Startup. After multiple questions, one student finally asked, what is the most important skill you need to successfully start a company? The three alumni looked at each other and finally said something that boiled down to four words, learn how to hustle. The importance of hustling cannot be understated. It's not just limited to entrepreneurs, but everyone from lawyers to artists to real estate agents like in our case today. They all understand and value how crucial this is. Whether it's a networking event or informally approaching a vendor on the street, hustlers have certain key characteristic traits. Unbeatable work ethic, no regard for rejection, an innovative knack for getting noticed. See, in the world of business, being a hustler is now the industry standard. I think hustle is the proper term to describe the steps taken by entrepreneurs to get their ideas out into the world. One of my favorite hustle-related quotes is from Abraham Lincoln. He said, things may come to those who wait, but only the things left by those who hustle. When you have passion around something, you'll do whatever it takes to execute on it. You'll work and grind away until you've squeezed every last bit of juice out of that lemon. I'm blown away by people who say they're hustling to achieve great things, when in actuality their actions don't even match. Hustling is putting every minute and all your effort into achieving the goal at hand. My name is Alex Kowalczyk, and a couple days ago I got the honor of talking to a great friend, a mentor, and hearing one of the most inspiring stories of hard work, determination, and hustle that I hope has the same effect on you as it did on me. So without further ado, welcome to the Think Journal. So anyone who looks successful, I would literally ask them like, hey, what do you do for a living? Blah, blah, blah. A lot of them were doctors and lawyers. And I was like, well, that's not me. I can't do that. And uh, there was this one young guy he used to come in all the time, dressed nicely, drove a nice car. And I always waited for the right time to ask people what they did for a living. I never like if there was 10 people in the store, I wouldn't do it. Uh, but fine, I, I finally caught this guy at the right time. Yeah, I asked him, like, hey, man, what do you do for a living? Like, you know, and, he's, and he's like, that's weird. Why are you asking me? Like, you know, I see you all the time. You've never asked me this question. And I told him, like, hey, I just graduated high school. I don't know what I want to do. Um, you look successful, blah, blah. And then he was like, oh, I got, he's like, I'm in real estate. And I was like, oh, sweet. That night, I literally went home, fired up the dial-up internet, and I was looking up what real estate what it means to be in real estate, blah, blah, blah. And then it was very much like owning your own business. Like you don't have a salary. You literally get paid. You don't sell. You don't get anything. Um, <clears throat> then I, uh, so that, it was fascinating to me. I was like, sweet, I'm going to do this. So that night I literally told my mom, I was like, hey mom, I want to do real estate. And she was like, she was all for it. She was like, oh, this is amazing. You want to do it, blah, blah. Because I, it was something that I was like, yo, let's do this, right? I want to do it right away. That right there is Carlo Batara, a close friend, a mentor, and to my description, definitely a serial entrepreneur. From running his own podcast, expanding on his Amazon e-commerce business, and maintaining a steady real estate sales record, I have never seen someone work the way Carlo has worked throughout his life. I wanted to find out what drove him, what embedded this competitive spirit into him, and how he got to the point he's at now. What inspires me most about Carlo is when he has an idea he's confident in, 
He jumps at it with no hesitation. His inspiration leads him right into action without any external push except for himself. So we started our conversation right at where his hustling days begin, high school. I think in high school, so I went to Father Father Michael Gates in high school, uh, Catholic school, you had to wear a uniform. So, which I didn't really like at the time. I hated it, right? And then, but what it made, what, what came out of it was civvies days were a big deal, right? So I remember first civvies day, I didn't understand what civvies days was. I was like, what do you mean? I get to wear my own stuff? Okay, cool. I remember the first civvies day in grade nine. Uh, and then I remember other people asking me like, yo, what are you wearing for civvies day? I'm like, I don't know. And I was like, shit, this is actually a big deal. Especially when I had girls asking yeah. me like, hey, you have your civvies day outfit ready? I'm like, yo, I don't know what you're talking about, right? So then I was like, shit, I'm gonna go steal some of my brother's stuff. I had, a, I had two older brothers. And um, so that actually, I think was the beginning of like, yo, I need some stuff. I need some gear. Like I wanna look fly or whatever. And then, uh, so my family, my mom, my dad, they would definitely wouldn't buy expensive gear for me. Like the stupid things I buy nowadays, if my mom even found out how expensive some of these things were, she would shoot me, right? And be like, you're crazy, don't buy this stuff. So what came out of that was, um, I used to go to New York a lot and uh, I had a lot of family there. So we used to do these drives, eight hour drives with my family. Um, And one of my cousins, I think he's technically my uncle, but he's, we used to call him my cousin and he worked at Barney's New York and he used to tell us what was hot, what was popping and stuff. And there was a very distinct moment where he, I was in grade nine and he told us that these uh, Lacoste vintage shirts are in like these golf shirts. And I remember like uh, a light going off in my head and it literally just basically said, yo, um, if they're selling at, excuse me, Barney's New York for 70, 80 bucks, my mom cleans the house in these shirts. Like she has a couple of these shirts, they're raggedy. And at the time, like the term vintage, you know, like that vintage, new vintage basically. Um, So that trip after we went home and I was like, hey mom, can I have these shirts? And um, then I took these shirts and she was like, what are you gonna do with them? And I'm like, I'm gonna sell them on eBay. And then she was like, isn't eBay a scam? And I was like, well, I don't know. I'm going to sell, I'm going to sell stuff on it. So I don't know if it's a scam, whatever. I'm not scamming anyone. And then I had to, then, um, I was too young and even my older brothers were too young to set up a PayPal account. So back then, I'm sure it's the same now you had to, in order to sell on eBay, you had to have a PayPal account in order to get your money. Uh, it's just the way it was. So I had to pay my neighbor's older brother to set up a PayPal account for me. And I paid him a piece, a cut, basically, let's say a couple bucks on a shirt. So yeah, I sold my mom's like two or three Lacoste shirts and then took like months to get paid. Now everything's pretty instant. It literally took like 60, 90 days to get the money. Um, took Took my money, gave my neighbor's older brother a cut. Then I biked to Value Village at Dunness and Dixie. And cause I remember the, I remember seeing these Lacoste shirts there. I bought a bunch of them for $2 a piece and then um, sold more of them on eBay. But then that was the transition to like, I spent most of that money buying other gear on eBay. I was like, oh sweet, now that I have, I have money in the account, um, I can now just buy stuff. Um, so that, I think that, that stems, that's the root of me wanting to sell things was in order to get other things I wanted. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, 
And then all these random opportunities, I just saw random opportunities come up. And I was like, well, I can make more money than 6.85 an hour selling basketball jerseys, shoes that I got. Um, I would flip them for like 50, 60 bucks. And when you're in grade nine, 10, 11, even grade 12, and you make 30 bucks, 60 bucks in a period, that's pretty freaking good, right? Like you're like, sweet, I can buy lunch, you know? Yeah, I can buy, I can buy lunch. I can I can use the vending machine. I can buy my five alive. <laughs> and that's really where it stemmed from. Like, okay, I need this. I need something. What what do I need to sell? How much do I need to get what I want? So then I literally just did that calculation pretty quick. And I'm like, okay, cool. I have access to this. I have this girl who can get me jerseys. I have another connect that can get me some shoes that work at Foot Locker. So uh, I even remember a friend of mine working at Foot Locker and Champs, and they would have their random 50% off days. Yeah. Um, and then I would buy some stuff at 50% off and then sell them at school for like 30% off. And I would make a 20% margin or 25% margin yeah. or whatever. And that's, and I just used to do that consistently. And, um, and that was pretty much it. And I never even considered it like, a quote-unquote hustle. Hustle, like, yeah, because you just like doing it. Yeah, I was like, look, I just want this, and I know that if I wanted something, like if I wanted, I don't know, if I wanted a certain pair of sneakers that I knew that was going to cost me 150 bucks, then I knew like, hey, if I sell these three sneakers and I sell them 50 and I make 30, 30 bucks each, then I have 90 bucks or whatever on each one. I need to sell four or five of them in order to get what I want, like net profit or whatever. I didn't even know these terms, net yeah. gross, and it's like, no, I just get 30 bucks because it cost me 150 and I sold it for whatever, 180, um, things like that. And yeah, even little things. I just remember, I just used to pay attention to like, okay, basketball jerseys brand new at Champs and Foot Locker would sell for like a hundred bucks. I can get them for like $20, $30 and I can sell them. Yeah, I can still sell the same jersey for 80 bucks, no tax. Yeah. So you're actually saving a lot. A lot yeah. yeah, so and students that wanted it, always knew that I, I can always get it. And uh, yeah, so I never even considered a hustle. I was just like, look, this is just what I do, man. <laughs> like, Who do you think you got that off of? Uh, your parents or your siblings? Or yeah, so I think about this a lot. I, I really do. So I don't know because I definitely know that the competitiveness of hustling, I think comes from having older brothers and also having a lot of older cousins. So we had a lot of I had a big family. So even if we lived at here in Taro and Paisley in the apartments, there's at one point I just remember living with all my cousins. It was a it was probably us as little kids loved it. Parents probably hated it, right? It was probably too many people. But and I was there was a gap. Like my older brothers are like anywhere between four my actual brothers are like four and five years older than me. And then but I have all these cousins that I consider brothers as well because we all grew up together. So they're anywhere between four and nine years older than me. Um, so when I'm 10 and they're 14, 15, 16 and 19 or whatever, I'm trying to play basketball with them. I'm trying to do all these things with them and I'm getting crushed. So which then made me want to like work harder, be better. And which then actually translated into business. And and maybe it's an insecurity to be like, I actually I actually do think it's part of this where, um, yeah, it's an insecurity of like, hey, watch me do it. Right. And then stacked up to the fact that I was never good at school. And I never liked school. I like being around students. I like being in school. I just didn't like having to do the school work. Uh, I, I never liked teachers and how they always like. I can I can never read well. Yeah. And I just remember teachers putting me down a lot. Um, so when I found something I liked, it was like, and they would say like, "Oh, you need a job. You're never gonna get a job if you act like that." Blah blah. blah. 
And I'm like, well, I already make more money than my friend that has a job. Why would I ever want a job, right? And uh, so that's kind of where it came from, where it's like a let me show you attitude versus um, I'm a born poor, purebred entrepreneur, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Uh, it's, I think it just comes from like proving other people's other people wrong, but then it actually works out to being a talent of mine of just finding stuff, selling it and create and making, finding value in it or exchanging value for it. Yeah. And I don't know if I can say like, I got this solely from my dad, my, we, we ran this company or my dad yeah, had, yeah, yeah. or anything like that. I don't, I don't really know. I just know like part of the hustle that I have deep inside and the competitiveness is definitely being the youngest of a bunch. Uh, like a bunch of my cousins yeah, and stuff yeah. and always just wanting to prove myself and being like, watch, I'm going to, yeah. I can, I can do I'll this. Do this yeah. yeah. I can do this. Whether yeah. it was sports, a lot, it started with sports and then, and then, then it, it also trickled into dumb things that I never should have comp competed in anywhere, like school and like, and I'm like, well, I, I don't like this stuff anyway. Yeah. Why yeah, why you but, yeah. So I think the hustle comes from, uh, almost unhealthy level of competition. Yeah. Um, and, and now it's just com competing with myself of like, do, what do I do? Do I do this? Cause I'm supposed to be doing it. Am I doing this now, uh, to prove to others still, or am I doing something that I genuinely just want to do? Okay. So fast forwarding a little bit, you don't get into that dentistry school cause you missed the payment after high school and you decide to pursue real estate while working. How long did it take you to get that license? And then like, what was that uh, experience like afterwards? I got it at my real estate license in like eight months, eight, nine months, yeah. definitely less than a year. And then uh, I remember I did, the reason I did so well was, um, and I'm going off memory, so like no one kill me for these stats, but I know at the time, the average brand new agent in their first year does two deals. Um, I did five ends, so four deals and f five ends. And I'll explain what that means in a minute in my first month. Uh, yes. Yeah, so I did really, really well. And part of the reason I did that was when I was in school, I was prepping the whole time. Like I was talking to my family. I'll be like, Hey, I'm going to get my license. I'm going to do this, blah, blah, blah. And I had clients that were, a lot of them didn't wait for me. Let's say easily a hundred people did not wait for me. But those four people waited like there was three buyers and two sellers and they all waited. Sorry, three buyers and one seller. And uh, then the reason I was able to do five ends in one month is that one listing I had, the one person that waited for me to sell, I was able to do my own marketing behind it and I sold it with my own buyer. So that's technically two ends. Yeah. yeah. So I had the buying side and the selling side. So and then I had three other uh, buyers in that my, my first month that I was able to service and get homes. And then it just kind of blew up from there. I kind of kept that momentum going. Um, and yeah, so I just blew out, blew out of the water. What your what every agent usually does in their first year. I just destroyed it in my first month yeah. and, uh, yeah, I learned a lot. It was cool. And even when I was in school too, I, I did a lot of, uh, shadowing of like other agents that were brand, uh, that were like top agents and I learned what they did and I did stuff for free because I just want to know how they did it, you know, like, Hey, how do you do this? How do you do that? And yeah. And I was super young. I still look super young. I still act super young. And, uh, a mutual friend of ours, Tom was talking about like, you know, so you were 19 and people were giving you their house to sell. And I'm like, yeah. And I used it to my advantage. 
where I would tell them like, hey, yeah, I'm 20 years old, 19 years old. Would you rather have me on the cutting edge of technology working to sell your house versus your 45, 55, 60 year old agent that is going to do the same thing that he's been doing for the last 20 years where I'll show you different ways of doing things. And that worked really well. Um, and I was super confident about it. And then I also had all the backing of all the people that I did, that I worked for for free at, at the at my fingertips to be like, hey, I'm in this, give, give them a call where calls aren't that often anymore these days. But I would literally call up Rosa and be like, hey, Rosa, I got this problem. What's going on? And or what do I do? And she's like, okay, this is what you want to do. And so I never felt like, even though I had the marketing background to get a lot of attention, I never had the the sales background in real estate because I'm used to selling sneakers. Yeah. And uh, it uh, that having those people at, at like my fingertips made a huge difference. Mm -hmm. But I don't think I would ever have those people at my fingertips if I never gave them stuff for free at the beginning. Yeah. When I got into real estate, it wasn't a popular thing. Like it now it's super popular. Everyone's got the real estate license. Your taxi driver's getting their real estate license. You know, whatever has their real estate license. Um, when I was in real estate, the market was soft as fuck. So like it was super hard to sell. It wasn't like the first place I ever sold was $144,000. And it probably took like 95 days to sell. So in that same place today is probably worth four or five, 600,000 yeah. little condo townhouse and uh, in Mississauga. Yeah, so 144,000 took about 90 plus days to sell versus people that come into the market. If you've been in real estate for a lot, only five years, six years, it's a joke. It's not a joke. I don't want to disrespect the industry that much, but there's a lot of people that shouldn't be in it. And if the market was down, they would never be in it yeah. because you actually need skill effort and professionalism to sell. Yeah, uh, yeah, so I've seen over the last year or two as the market has come down, a lot of people leave the industry because they just can't keep up with actually knowing what to do, yeah. how to handle the industry, how to handle when there's not 17 offers on a property. Like, what do you actually do? So when did internet marketing come into play for you? Because knowing you personally, I know business definitely skyrocketed for you when you took that on, right? Let me try to make sense of it all. So this guy, agent who got caught for drunk driving, he showed me there was a lot of business to be made in pre-construction condos. And it wasn't as hot as it is now. Like no one knew about these things. The first condo I ever sold was like $130,000. Uh, but imagine the first house I sold was 144,000. And if a condo selling, yeah. So why would people buy that condo if you can buy a house for 144? Why would you buy a condo for 130? But as we all know, I'm pretty sure anyone would buy a condo in Toronto now for 130,000, you'd buy that in a heartbeat. So he showed me that whole thing. And then I learned about it from somebody else about the internet and like business stuff. I think it, it wasn't the first time, but the first time I really blew up was in Hawaii. So I was in Hawaii and um, I'm surfing I'm with these guys. They, they um, whatever, these mentors of mine, they end up become, becoming really good mentors of, my, mentors of mine. We were surfing in Hawaii and we're at this big conference. And I, again, these guys were the type of guys that I didn't really ask what we were gonna do. They became mentors of mine and they were like, hey, you wanna go surf? They introduced me to surf and I'm like, yeah, let's go. And then we get to Hawaii, we're there for like 20 days or whatever. They're like, hey, we gotta go spend three days at this conference. You cool with that? I'm like, yeah, cool. So I show up at this conference and the day before the conference starts, um, they, the guys who run the conference were like, hey, do you guys mind teaching some volunteers and special guests of the conference how to surf. Mm. And we're like, yeah, sure. Like, 
they're like, we don't have a lot of money to pay you guys. It's not in the budget, blah, blah, blah. We're like, okay, cool. As long as you buy, pay for all the rental stuff and the insurance, we're, we'll just do it. We're going to do, we're going to be in the water anyway. So we start teaching these guys how to surf guys and girls and stuff, very beginner waves. And, uh, everyone thought I was a Hawaiian. It was really funny, but annoying after a while. Uh, and then this one guy, uh, thought I was Hawaiian and he was like, uh, oh, it must be sick to live in the city or to grow up in, uh, in, in the island. And I was like, no man, I'm from Toronto. Right. And then he's like, oh, um, I, I, I don't know if I want to share a story publicly, but okay. So he was like, he, uh, I'll do it anyway. So he, he basically is like, Hey, do you, you know, do you want to have some drinks? Do you smoke weed and yeah. blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, like, cause he lived in California yeah. and he understood like California and Canada have like this synergy of marijuana. Yeah, yeah. And then I was like, yeah, whatever. Like I'm down. And he's like, okay, meet up with some of my friends and I at the beach later. So did that, had a good time, good night. Um, the next day this conference starts. Then I had no idea what kind of conference I was in and it was about the internet and how all these guys are doing all these things online. And I'm like fascinated. And most of them are about 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Um, at the time, I didn't know what a TED Talk was because I wasn't paying attention. Yeah. They were talking about it at the beginning. They're like, it's going to be TED Talk style. The founder of TED Talks is here. And I was like, what the hell? I didn't even know this. Yeah. Like, and I didn't know these people. And I, didn't even, I don't remember the guy's name, but I just remember that coming up. Then, so there's like, let's say seven, eight different speakers that day. Then there's a keynote speaker at the end ends up being the guy who invited me to back to the beach yeah. and uh he's i would easily say 85 90 percent of the audience is there to see this guy so i walk up to him after i'm like hey man what the hell why didn't you tell me you were famous right and then he started laughing he's like oh it's kind of cool you didn't know it was blah, blah blah and then my next question to him was like yeah what the fuck is an internet marketer Right. Like this term, I keep hearing it all day. And he started laughing and he's like, well, look, man, we talked last night. You told me about your real estate stuff and how you're doing well. He's like, look, you have a real business you made in real life. Put that online. Now you're a quote unquote Internet marketer. Um, and I think more of what he was doing and what most of those Internet marketers were doing at the time, they weren't selling product. They were selling how to build lists. And then with those lists, you can yeah, sell to so people. Cool. Yeah, so that was it. And then that really clicked. So I became friends with this guy. Um, it was weird. I was in the world of like some of the top internet marketers in the world. And uh, I was in like parties. Like I'm now with these people for the next three, four days. Me and my guys that we rent, we surfed with were like, I was like, hey guys, we have this massive house on the beach. Um, literally ocean view. Like this room that we're in is half the size of the balcony. Like the balcony was twice this. So I was like, guys, let's throw a party at our house and invite all these people. Yeah. So I did that. I had this massive party and I got to know all these people more, more and better, uh, like more and better. And I got a lot of these people's phone numbers and uh, I started talk, texting them like, hey, OK. So then when I got home uh, and I'm never the type to be like, yo, give me the the secret pill or the magic bullet. Yeah. Um, I'm more like, OK, this guy was telling me that. I know what I'm doing um, because I've already started a real estate business. Um, now put it online. And then the other tidbit he gave me was start with something you like, right? So 
I then got back to Toronto and I enrolled for like some internet marketing class. It wasn't called internet marketing, yeah, but yeah. some internet class. Um, and, and it had to do with real estate and how to build a website with your personal brand or some crap like that. And I was like, wait, this isn't what I want to do, right? And back in the day, I used to have to do these credits. So I went to this class and I would get these credits, every continuing education credits in real estate. And I was sitting in the back and I met these kids that were actually the ones that built these sites. I was joking with them. They were like, what are you doing here? Because all these people are old, right? And I was like, what are you guys doing here? And they were a few years older than me and they were like, or younger than me. And um, I was like, man, this is boring. I want a website that does this, this, and this. And they're like, we can do that. And we then we started working together. I was like, oh, like, where are you guys going for lunch? They're like, well, I don't know. We have lunch, right? And I was like, okay, let's go for lunch. I'll take you guys for lunch. So then we became really good friends. And then I started showing them, like, guys, what else can we do? Like, I want to do some other stuff. So we built, like, um, I ha like we ha they had an idea about a music blog. I love music. And then we started sharing all this information. I was like, well, if the music blog can do this, it would make it cooler. And that became the whole social sharing thing. Like, they, they explained to me the, like, Google's point system of SEO and stuff and how, like, let's say a regular site and a backlink to two regular sites and they're linked to each other called a backlink yeah. um, would be a, like, let's say one point in Google's world, Google's SEO world. Now, if your site is linked now backlinked to a government site, that's like 10 points. So it's 10 times better than a yeah. regular site. Then at the time, Facebook was just popping like massively. It's not, it's not the beast that it is today, yeah. but it was just popping. And Google started recognizing uh, social sharing. I don't even know if this is a real term. It's just a term that we made up. I'm sure it was, it, I got it from somewhere. Yeah. And so if a government li link was 10 points, now if you shared something from our site off your Facebook and you posted and you shared it, that's like 100 points. Because you're a real person that has genuine interest in something and is sharing it with your circle. So it became like a hundred points. So if you see like, you could still Google random stuff and Facebook links show up uh, or Instagram links show up or whatever. So that became a massive target for us where I was like, guys, let's focus on social sharing because we only have to do 10 instead of, you know what I mean? The point system. So that's where we crushed in all of our sites. And obviously we did the basic stuff too. And we, then we added this on top and that's really how it got started. Did the music blog, did, uh, the UFO site. Uh, I loved UFOs. We started that. Cause that was the other piece of advice that my guys that I met in Hawaii told me like, Hey, start with something you like, you'll understand it yeah. easier. Right. And then none of these things made as much money as I, I wanted them to. I guess I wasn't patient enough because I think about it now, if I kept those things running, God damn, like some of these music blogs are the biggest things online. Yeah. You know, they have so much influence on like whatever. Uh, but I wasn't patient enough, shut a lot of those things down. And, but then at the same time, I built these real estate sites. So as you alluded to, like the My Mississauga condos, My, My Liberty Village condos, My Tobacco condos, My Distillery District condos, all these little pocket sites in different neighborhoods in Toronto, Mississauga and, and such. And the whole premise of those was, I was one of the top condo sellers. I became one of the top condo sellers because of these sites. So it all adds up to the one guy who um, got drunk, got caught drunk and driving, lost his license, introduced me to condo sites or introduced me to condos. Then I met the guys in Hawaii 
And if this guy was selling three or four in a night, I'm like, well, I can do that. I can sell better than him. Yeah. And then the guys in Hawaii showed me how to get everyone's attention online. They didn't show me like the, like the magic <laughs> way, but I learned it through the other sites, like the music blog, the UFO stuff. And those were our main two. And then I used it to build the same ideas and the same premise to build my Miss Saga condos, my Liberty Village condos, blah, blah, blah. And then I started selling not three or four in a night. I would sell like 15, 20 condos in this because I had so many people. I was one of the first sites to give information away for free where that wasn't a thing before. Everyone was like, pop. It's still annoying. It's funny how people still do this. Like you can't even get on our site unless you register. Like get out of here, right? Like that's, it's terrible. Like, so I was the first Liberty Village site and I knew every single condo that was coming up. I would tell you all the condos that were coming up and all you had in order to register for them, you had to register on my site. So I would literally get five to seven opt-ins a day for these sites. And that's how I was able to really crush and in, in, in the condo world. So where's all this leading now? How has your mindset changed over the years about the things you do? Because I mean, you still hustle the same way. It just seems you're going into the projects that you really are interested in. You're doing what you want, so to speak. Doing things that bring genuine happiness to me is more important now than money. Now, I'm not saying money is not important. I still do things in order to pay the bills and stuff and like still run the real estate stuff, but I'm spending more, which I learned from the first person that ever said it to me that really hit was Gary Vee, Gary Vaynerchuk. Yeah. A few years back when I met him for the first time, he literally pulled me aside, didn't pull me aside. We had a side conversation yeah. Because I talked to him about the Raptors, I made a bet with him. I had a moment to ask him a question, yeah. and like normally people, like he normally does. And most um, most people asked him business questions, where I was like, uh, I don't really know if I need business advice, right? Because I know what I'm kind of doing, blah blah blah. Not that it's perfect. So I made a bet with him about the Raptors versus the Knicks, and he laughed about it, and he was like, I'm not going to bet against the Raptors, blah blah blah. You guys have a good team. And then he one-upped it and he was like, I basically made a bet like, hey, if the Raptors play the Knicks in the playoffs, uh, you got to come with me to a game. He's like, I'm down. He's like, I don't even think the Knicks will play the playoffs. So I'll one-up your bet as to if the Knicks even make the playoffs, I'll take you to a Knicks game courtside. And I was like, holy shit. I was like, yo, I'm going. I recorded this whole thing. So I was like, yo, I'm rooting for the Knicks that year. So the, at that same VIP dinner we were at, he then he basically told me like, hey man, like, uh, I like I liked our conversation, blah blah, and you you seem like a good kid, and tell me a little bit more about your business. I told him blah blah. He's like, look, obviously if you're in this VIP dinner, you're doing well. Either that or your parents paid for you to be here. And I was like, well, my parents definitely didn't pay for me to be here. If I, they found out how much this thing was, they would probably tell me not to go. And um, then he was like, uh, he's like, okay, so. You didn't ask me a question, but I'm gonna ask. I'm gonna give you advice anyway, right? And I was like, "Cool." He's like, "What do you uh, What do you got?" He's like, "Where Where are you in your business?" Blah blah. blah. I told him, and he's like, "All right, you ready? To, do you want to grow, or are you good where you're at?" And I'm like, "I, I kind of want to grow. I want to grow in a different direction." And then he was like, "All right, you ready to stop buying dumb shit?" And then I was like, "What do you mean? What are you talking about?" Right? He's like, "What did you do when you first made a hundred thousand dollars?" And he told, I told him, I was like, "I don't know. I went, I traveled." And he's like, "Second, what'd you do when you made two hundred or three hundred or four hundred, whatever it was?" And I was like, I bought this, I bought that. And he's like, yeah, you're playing the wrong game. He's like, you done, you done with that? Like, 
I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, look, I can tell how much are your sneakers. And he's like, those are Yeezys. And I remember, and he's like, stop buying that. I'm like, what? I'm so confused. And he's like, he, and then he was like, the difference, he's like, you remind me of myself when I was younger. But the major difference was if my income was different than my company's income, I treated them separately. If my company made 100000 I paid myself 25000 as an example. If I, my company made 200000 I paid myself 30000 if my company made a million, I still pay myself $40,000. It just went back into the company. And that it, it that didn't change me instantly, but it definitely hit me in a way where I was like, fuck, I spent a lot of money on dumb shit. So now I'm at a point where most of the real estate stuff goes into things that I want to try, want to build versus buying dumb shit. Yeah. Um, so... That's where I'm at now. Like it's really translate translated. Like you're saying, I do a lot of random stuff. Um, start speaking because I found that you know the whole genuine, um, uh, genuine finding genuine happiness and things that bring me, yeah, that genuinely make me happy. One of them was speaking. So that's where the podcast came in and actually speaking. I got invited. I've been invited many times to speak at schools. I just never took them because I was like, well, I'm not getting paid. Why would I do that? But then I did it and I was, it was awesome. Like I loved it. I did it after literally the first, within three weeks after I could walk, I spoke at, an, at a school. The reception was insane. The sound super corny, but the fulfillment out of it was insane. Like yeah. the looks on people's, the kids' faces, when I said things like, hey, uh, I know it's cool to be an entrepreneur right now, but I got introduced as a quote unquote serial entrepreneur. And I asked how many people have actually are starting this, starting something on the side right now. And a lot of them put their hands up. And I was like, guys, I don't think you know what it takes to be an entrepreneur. I'm not trying to be discouraging, but I've never had a job. I've never had a resume. I have no intention of having a job. That to me is, is a huge part of being an entrepreneur where I just, it's not gonna happen. I'll figure another way out. I think Carlo left it at a great point. See, recently, I've learned that when it comes to something that we're passionate about, something that we aspire to achieve or aspire to become, hustle comes as second nature. What I realized from hearing Carlo's story was some of us can take on that attitude better than others, but it doesn't mean we shouldn't try. Follow your ideas. They all lead somewhere because there's always more to take on, always more to try. The hustle never stops. I want to thank Carlo again for coming onto the show. If you want to hear more from him, he's all over social media, always sharing cool, up-to-date, and real-time marketing strategies. So check out his Instagram at Carlo Batara, that's C-A-R-L-O-B-A-T-A-R-A. And stay tuned there for more news on his podcast coming out soon. Thank you all for listening. This project of mine has been crazy, but I've been enjoying creating the Think Train every step of the way. And I can't wait to bring more to the table. If you aren't already, go check me out on social media at think underscore train for Instagram or shoot me an email with questions or suggestions for the show over to alexk at thinktrainpodcast.com. If you enjoy the show, please feel free to leave a review and I'll see you in the next episode of The Think Train.